0: to the Oncolytics Biotech Second Quarter 2020 Earnings Conference Call. Today's conference is being recorded, and just as a reminder today, please press star 1 to ask a question. At this time, I'd like to turn the conference over to Tom Galassi of Lifeside Advisors. Please go ahead, sir.
1: Thank you, Operator. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Oncolytics Biotech Second Quarter 2020 Conference Call. Earlier today, Oncolytics issued a press release providing their financial results and corporate updates for the second quarter of 2020. A replay of today's call will be available on the Investor Relations section of the Oncolytics website, approximately two hours after its completion. After remarks from company management, we will open the call for Q&A. As a reminder, various remarks made during this call about the company's future expectations, plans, and prospects constitute forward-looking statements for purposes of the safe harbor provisions under the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Actual results may differ materially from those indicated by these forward-looking statements As a result of various important factors, including those discussed in the risk factors section of the company's most recent annual report on Form 20F, which is on file with the SEC. In addition, any forward looking statements represent the company's views only as of today and should not be relied upon as representing their views as of any subsequent date. Except as required by law, Oncolytics specifically disclaims any obligation to update or revise any forward looking statements, even if the company's views change. Now I will turn the call over to Dr. Matt Coffey. President and Chief Executive Officer of Oncletics, Matt. Thanks, Tom. And thanks to all listening for joining us on this call today to discuss our second quarter corporate update. Now, in addition to Tom, I'm joined by Andrew DiGonadaro, our Global Head of Business Development, and Kirk Luck, our Chief Financial Officer. As I begin today's call, I'd like to say how incredibly proud I am of all the members of the Oncletics team. Their talents and unwavering dedication has allowed us to make truly remarkable progress over the last quarter, particularly in light of the unpredictable and industry-wide challenges posed by the COVID-19 pandemic. Through the efficient implementation of a robust business continuity plan, OnClinix was able to achieve five clinical milestones, including three data readouts in the second quarter. Completion of these milestones has proved important uh, clinical validation for our unique OnClinix virus and immunotherapy platform while also advancing our lead breast cancer program towards the initiation of a registrational study. Looking forward, we are well-positioned to continue reporting a steady cadence of value-creating milestones across our diverse clinical pipeline. I'd like to move on and provide some of our highlights from our productive quarter. We remain focused on the clinical advancement of Pella our intravenously-delivered immuno-oncolytic virus towards a registration study in HR-positive, HER2-negative metastatic breast cancer. A substantial unmet need exists in this indication, as currently approved therapies are unable to produce a meaningful survival advantage for the over 112,000 patients with the disease in the United States alone. To address this unmet need, we continue to build on the results of our phase two study, ind 213 a metastatic breast cancer trial that showed a near-doubling of overall survival with Pellarerea rep treatment in HR positive her two negative patients. Encouraged by this data, we are conducting our AWARE 1 and BRSA clinical studies, the completion of which will determine the design of our phase three registrational program. Together, these ongoing studies aim to achieve three objectives to facilitate the initiation of a phase three trial. First, they aim to confirm Pellarerea rep's immunotherapeutic mechanism of action to support the promising efficacy data generated by IMD-213. Second, they aim to validate the clinical utility of our novel blood-based biomarker measuring T-cell clonality to predict the patient response to Pelarer-REP. And finally, they will evaluate Pellararep's ability to enhance the efficacy of checkpoint inhibitors to improve patient outcomes, as there is a robust preclinical and clinical data set supporting the synergistic potential of Pelarer-REP checkpoint inhibitor combination therapies. With these objectives in mind, I'm happy to report that the second quarter featured the achievements of multiple key milestones, which continue to drive our sustained progress towards a registrational trial. The first of these milestones came from our Aware One Window of Opportunity study in early stage breast cancer. This study is being conducted by Solty in Spain and represents the first use of our clinical supply agreement with Roche. Following a recent expansion in the number of AWARE 1 trial sites, we are rapidly enrolling patients in the study thanks to a doubling of the number of study centers that coincided with Spain's reopening. Also, thanks to last week's successful safety committee review, we once again verified Pellaray outstanding safety profile. This progress has been further bolstered by positive data generated, such as the recently announced compelling data presented at the 2020 ESMO breast cancer meeting. This data was also highlighted in a recent K-, K opinion leader call or KOL call featuring Dr. Alex Pratt, chair of SOLTI, and the lead translational investigator of Aware 1. During this KOL call, Dr. Pratt spoke to how the Aware 1 data confirmed Re-Re-Ups immunotherapeutic mechanism of action, support the clinical utility of T cell causality as a predictive and prognostic biomarker, and demonstrated Re-Re-Ups potential to synergistically combine with checkpoint inhibitors across multiple breast cancer subtypes. Specifically, the data showed that systemic Pellular representative administration was followed by tumor-specific replication, which led to the creation uh, and mobilization of tumor-targeting CD8-positive T-cell clones and increased tumor PD-L1 expression. Notably, the wear-one results also showed that Pellular representative treatment leads to an increase in cell health a measure of tumor inflammation, and the study's primary endpoint. Such data is particularly exciting when considering that patients with high cell CellTill scores have improved clinical outcomes. The increase in CellTill also correlated with peripheral T-cell clonality, supporting its use of a biomarker, which may allow us to select and stratify patients who are more likely to respond to treatment in our physical studies. Taken together, previously reported results from MOLARE-1 we may demonstrate the substantial progress made towards achieving the critical objectives necessary to move our lead breast cancer program into a registrational study. Looking ahead, we expect the advancement of this trial to continue in earnest. We are highly encouraged by this progress, and will keep you up to date as the trial advances. Moving on now to Bracelet 1, our Phase 2 trial evaluating the safety and efficacy of Pelareo-Ret-Based Combination Therapies in HR-positive HER2-negative metastatic breast cancer patients. Like in AWARE-1, the exceptional work of the oncologic team and its partners throughout the midst of this pandemic has allowed us to achieve a critical milestone in the study, as we recently dosed our first patient following the opening of the first two sites in the study. We expect to see an acceleration in the opening of additional sites over the next quarter as hospitals adapt to the running studies in the COVID-19 pandemic environment. As a reminder, Braceless Design was developed in collaboration with Pfizer and work KGA and it's essentially identical to the study design of a prior IND-213 uh, study with two exceptions. Firstly, the study focuses exclusively on HR-positive, HER2-negative subsets of metastatic breast cancer patients, which is the patient population in which we saw the pronounced overall survival benefit in IND-213. Second, bracelet adds an additional study arm to evaluate in combination with Pfizer and anti pd one checkpoint inhibitor, Vivencio. As mentioned earlier, this design was developed to support the overall survival advantage observed in ind 13 by demonstrating pella ability to induce a robust anti-tumor immune response in an identical patient population. Additionally, the study aims to validate T-cell clonality's utility as a clinical biomarker and evaluate the efficacy of pella checkpoint inhibitor combination therapy. Importantly, we believe that our AWARE-1 and bracelet studies present multiple opportunities for value inflection points in the near future, particularly given how prior data and regulatory interactions have de-risked our overall breast cancer program. As those who have been following us for some time may know, we have previously received favorable feedback from the FDA end of Phase II meeting, a favorable EMA final advice letter, fast track designation, and a special protocol agreement for our metastatic breast cancer program. These regulatory achievements, combined with our progress in bracelet one and the compelling layer one data showing that we are on track to meet the clinical objectives needed to initiate a registrational study, demonstrate how the hard work of our employees, partners, patients, and investigators have delist our lead clinical program and set up for near and long-term success. Now, I'd like to shift gears a bit and talk briefly about the recently announced expansion of our breast cancer program into new disease uh, subtype, triple negative breast cancer. About a month ago, we announced our new IRANE study, which is a Phase 2 investigator-sponsored clinical trial designed to evaluate Pelareal in combination with INSIGHT's anti-PD-1 checkpoint inhibitor retafanlimab. This trial aims to address a critical unmet medical need, as there are over 460,000 triple-negative breast cancer patients in the U.S. alone. Importantly, while checkpoint inhibitor therapy is approved for the treatment of triple-negative breast cancer, it has significant limitations. Only about half of triple negative breast cancer patients have the 1% PD-L1 expression levels needed to become eligible for checkpoint therapy at this time. Of those, 40% are likely to respond to treatment. This represents a very interesting clinical and market opportunity for Pella Rep, which is highlighted by the AWARE-1 data showing an ability to increase in tumor PD-L1 expression with Pella Rep treatment across multiple breast cancer subtypes. These data highlight Pella Rearup's potential to increase the number of patients that are eligible for and can respond to triple inhibitors, thereby helping to address this pressing unmet need of triple negative breast cancer. Moving on, I'd now like to shift the discussion away from our primary focus in metastatic breast cancer and towards the progress made in hematological and gastrointestinal cancer indications. These programs demonstrate both the depth of our pipeline and the broad commercial opportunity offered by Pellarurep's continued advancement. Biosomes were achieved in each of these programs in the second quarter, as new clinical data from trials evaluating telomerep in multiple myeloma and pancreatic adenocarcinoma were presented as part of the ASCO meeting held in May. We saw some fascinating proof of concept data in multiple myeloma, which is an indication where the incredibly immunosuppressive nature of the cancer microenvironment has prevented the success of checkpoint inhibitors. When patients in our multiple myeloma trial were treated with Pelorirup in combination with the proteasome inhibitor Kripolis, we saw the activation of a profound inflammatory response accompanied by a 50% overall response rate and 83% clinical benefit rate. These results include the first reported incidence of cytokine relief syndrome associated with clinical response in multiple myeloma. The induction of cytokine relief syndrome, which can be effectively managed with well-established therapies, highlights the ability of pelarero combination treatment to induce robust immune cell activation and tumor lysis in multiple myeloma patients. The compelling data seen here are even more noteworthy when considering that the trial was carried out in calcissimib refractory patients who are notoriously difficult to treat. Importantly, when this recently announced they are considered together with previously reported trial results showing a dramatic increase in PD-L1 expression with pelarero treatment. treatments, We strongly support the success of our ongoing clinical study of evaluating Pellaluralep, Celsus and an immune checkpoint inhibitor therapy in multiple myeloma. Finally, before I hand off the call to Andy to elaborate on our BD efforts, I'd like to give a brief update on our work in GI cancers. As in breast cancer and multiple myeloma, we have compelling clinical data from our GI malignancies demonstrating Pellaluralep's potential to synergistically increase the effectiveness of immune checkpoint inhibitors. This includes data recently presented at ASCO from a trial evaluating pelary replicative combination therapy in second-line pancreatic cancer patients. These data show that the therapy was well-tolerated and resulted in tumor-specific replication, high degree of T-cell replicative and the creation of new T-cell clones in the peripheral blood of these patients. Looking ahead, these recently reported results add to what is a robust set of clinical data showing collier ability to prime the immune system across several types of GI cancers. Notably, this data set is driving some very interesting discussions around potential industry and academic collaborations that may complement our existing relationships quite nicely. Now, to let you hear some more of these, uh, more about these exciting collaborations and other ongoing BD efforts, I'll hand the call over to Andrew. Thanks, Matt. As we mentioned in the past, there's a growing interest from large pharma and biotech companies in improving the efficacy of checkpoint inhibitors by pairing them with oncolytic viruses. This has been marked by several deals by companies such as Merck, EMS, and J&J, which have typically been preceded by initial collaboration designed to evaluate the feasibility of potential combinations. This is the exact approach oncolytics is taking with our ongoing Helleria rep study designed to evaluate potential synergies with Roche's concentric, Pfizer, and Merck KGA-Saventio, CMS is OpVivo and now Insights' Red to Family Map. The way in which we have been able to gain such extensive industry collaborations has been by leveraging our robust clinical data set and the exciting market opportunities presented by the clinical areas being study. One recent example of successful execution of the strategy is with the Irene study map discussed earlier, as CalRE RF's ability to increase tumor PDR1 levels is precisely what drove the initiation of this investigator sponsored trial. This collaboration, along with our ongoing co-development code agreement with Pfizer and Merck-KJ in the one study, are just two examples of how we're effectively leveraging our compelling clinical data to initiate and foster relationships with large farming biotech. It's also important to note that the commercial opportunity of using Peleria to improve checkpoint inhibitors expands beyond just breast cancer. As a whole, the checkpoint inhibitor market is expected to reach $25 by 2022 even though less than one in five patients respond to these therapies. To further accelerate and expand growth, checkpoint companies must look for safe and efficacious ways to further expand their potential indications. Pelarira, with extensive synergy data and ability to be administered intravenously, represents an exciting opportunity to do so. As Matt discussed earlier, we have robust clinical data sets demonstrating polyurex potential to increase the percentage of patients responding to checkpoint inhibitors. Not surprisingly, we find that these data consistently drive exciting business development opportunities across our pipeline. For example, we're currently working with BMS on a promising study evaluating polyurex optoevo combination therapy in multiple myeloma patients. Looking forward, our goal is to secure a global clinical and commercialization partnership to both facilitate polar rear approval and maximize its commercial opportunity. We expect forthcoming clinical data, particularly in Bracelet and OER 1, to drive us towards this goal by advancing our ongoing discussions with potential partners across the pharma and biotech industries. With that, I'll turn the call over to Kirk Look, our CFO, to discuss our financial results in the quarter. Kirk? Thank you, Andrew, and good afternoon, everyone. I'm pleased to report that Oncolytics remains in a sound financial position as we advance Pelleria up towards registration. Our balance sheet continues to remain strong with cash and cash equivalents of $29.9 million at the end of the second quarter. This includes net proceeds of $6.4 million from our at the market facility, which was recently renewed, and importantly, extends our financial runway to the end of 2021. Our research and development expenses for the second quarter of 2020 were $2.5 million compared to $3.4 million for the same period last year. These activities centered on progressing our AWARE and bracelet studies, supporting our other checkpoint inhibitor combination trials, and securing our clinical supply with the start of CGMP production run. Now operating expenses for the second quarter were $3 million compared to $1.8 million in 2019. During this period, the increase in our operating expenses related primarily to an increase in our investor relations and business development activities, as well as an increase in our directors and officer insurance premiums. Finally, our net loss for the second quarter was $6.8 million compared to $5.3 million last year, equating to a loss per share of $0.17 for the quarter versus $0.26 for the quarter in 2019. With that, I'll hand it back to Matt. That. Sorry, I didn't go Before we move on to the QA, I want to briefly emphasize the the in the world of onclitic viruses, which, as Andrew mentioned, is an area of great interest to in large pharma. Almost all other onclitic viruses in development either have at least one and often both of these two characteristics. They require special handling procedures due to the DSL-3 classification, or they require intratumoral delivery and therefore cannot reach metastatic disease. Notably, Pelorare Rep is administered systemically by nursing staff, requires no special handling procedures, and has been clinically demonstrated to selectively replicate in local and metastatic tumors. These characteristics offer Onclinix substantial competitive advantages over other Onclinix viral companies. Further, Pelerarif remains the only viral agent to show survival benefit in late-stage metastatic breast cancer and is supported by data from multiple clinical studies demonstrating its potential to augment checkpoint inhibitor therapy. Looking ahead, we expect to build value through the sustained progression of our clinical programs and the continued development of our industry partnerships. We believe we are well on our way to advancing our lead, HR positive, encouraging new metastatic breast cancer program into a registration study, and we continue to work diligently with our academic and industry collaborators to broaden the commercial opportunities in hemological and GI malignancies. Um, though we expect the future of the pandemic to present challenges across the biotech and industries, the extraordinary dedication and talent displayed by our employees and partners over the last several months makes us confident that we will continue to build on the positive momentum generated last quarter. This will allow us to continue generating value for our shareholders, and most importantly, the lives of cancer patients. With that, I would now like to open the lines and take some questions. Operator?
0: Well, thank you. If you'd like to ask a question at this time, once again, as a reminder, please signal us by pressing star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you're using a speakerphone today, please make sure your mute function is turned off to allow your signal to reach us. Once again, that's star 1 to ask a question. We'll pause just a brief moment. Take our first question from Jonathan Nashoff with Roth Capital Partners.
1: Uh, th- thank you very much. So the line's a bit static, so I hope you can hear me. We've had a bit of a storm over here, but uh, you've yeah. alluded over the past six yes, you've um, alluded over the past six months or so um, about moving you know, into GI cancer, and I think I heard you extremely briefly mention it in your prepared remarks. But can you better elaborate on the developments in that disease setting? Yeah, no, um, Andrew's been very busy in this regard. Um, We are working on various protocols now. What we're we're contemplating, um, and hopefully in the context of an industry partner, um, will be a a GI uh, basket study, if you will. We've seen positive results in colorectal. We've just published those results. Um, The MCI published a positive study in pancreatic cancer and pre-selected patients with ccam 6 expression. Um, So we, we very much believe it's an area that we should be pursuing Um, we we do have a number of industry partners that we're courting for this. Uh, The protocols are nearly completed. Um, So I I think it's just a question of execution, and then hopefully that will be uh, a 2020 event. Obviously, um, everybody's stuck working from home, so it's hard to get committee approvals. Um, But Andrew's done a phenomenal job of moving these um, initiatives ahead for us, and it's something we hope to be able to announce uh, second half of the year. Okay. Uh, the, the second question is a, a couple of sentences, so just kind of bear with me. But, you know, when will you see a critical mass of data in breast cancer? You know, you've been doing a bunch of stuff in breast cancer, and I guess, correct me if you knowing these numbers, but since early 2017, when you read out IND213, that was about 77 patients. And then I, I believe that what we have seen from then has just, or since then, has just been... About a dozen or so patients, uh, the first dozen or so from the very end. And so, um, when I say critical mass, you know, when well, when do you have a critical mass of patients in breast cancer? You know, some line of breast cancer. I mean, enough data so that you can construct a pivotal trial containing only one variable between only two arms so that you can best see the contribution from color variant. It's a great question, Um, and and it's one that comes up all the time. 77 patients and, you you know, the the study in in terms of being that small is very, very clear. Um, You know, obviously people are looking for a larger N, but we were – I think there was people, you know, looking at the results and saying, well, this is fantastic, but the protocol was really written as it being a cytotoxic, and now you're seeing this, you know – Delayed clinical benefit, you're seeing on proportionality it's very clear you're active as immunotherapy, and unfortunately, 213 didn't capture that immunotherapy data. What we're getting from AWARE, I think, um, is some of the most compelling data uh, that demonstrates nearly definitively what's happening at a cellular level. And it, it, because there's paired biopsies uh, between the initiation um, of the study and the final mastectomy, we can, by looking in the tumor microenvironment and the peripheral blood, we can tell a very complete story of why 213 was a success, how the immune system was engaged, what the order of the engagement was, what the relative contribution of natural killer cells versus uh, the T cells are. Um, we, unfortunately, you know, are, are living in, in the middle of a pandemic, so the, 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 co- the, the AWARE study was paused for three months. We used that time to double the number of centers. Um, that group is very excited about the study going forward. Um, we did have a KOL call where the investigator was talking about the future of the agent I think the aware one gives us the complete study and right now we just we just finished the safety evaluation with the, the DSMB um, they found no concerns with it so now we can enroll um, the remainder of the study Always when you start these studies there's a bit of a risk because we were giving uh, a checkpoint inhibitor to to women who had a fully functional immune system. So we wanted to proceed slowly uh, to make sure that we weren't putting anybody at risk. But frankly, the safety profile looks exceedingly good. Um, the investigators there have submitted abstracts to CITSI as well as San Antonio Breast Conference. So to my mind, in terms of a complete picture the biochemistry um, and the relative role that the checkpoint inhibitor uh, will be presented at San Antonio Breast Conference, um, the final proof, or the final nail in the coffin, if you will, is the Berry Club study, um, which is now enrolling. I'm hoping that it gives us a very clear indication of the relative contribution of the checkpoint inhibitor in the metastatic setting, but biochemistry is biochemistry. If we see um, a decrease uh, in the threshold that we need to get to improved cell till or improved inflammation in the presence of the checkpoint inhibitor, I think we can start planning that phase three well before Berry being finished. So, in my mind, the complete biochemistry picture you know, in, with it, 36 patients uh, with AWARE-1, I think complements everything, the 70, you know, some odd patients that were enrolled in 213, and then whether or not pharma needs that last bit of data coming from Bracelet will be seen, but it's a nicely randomized study that, that shows it. So to my mind, I think we're done with AWARE-1. Um, naysayers are people who are sitting on the front, so I think they're going to wait for the bracelet results, which, you know, that study should be finished enrollment next summer with final data, again, probably being... Presented at San Antonio Breast Conference 2021. Um, In any case, though, you know we've made some critical hires, and we're planning for the phase three now so that we can do gap analysis to make sure that, uh, in the context of a pharma partner, that we can co-develop it, that they can look at us and our clinical team and say yes, this is a critical partner, or this is a critical group of people that can run the partnership that they're contemplating. Okay, and the um, the former CMO, what, uh, what was her departure? Um, does that cause that? Yeah, you know, typically the type of disclosure is we can see someone worked there and then they didn't. Um, we brought on uh, Dr. Tom Heineman. He's got a background in infectious disease and oncology. Um, he's a, a fantastic hire for us, and actually has been working to uh, already integrate and improve the clinical team over the last several weeks. So um, I would look to him, um, but we really don't discuss why people um, leave organizations. Okay, and, and the last, uh, the last little two-part is just, uh, was there any ATM usage since uh, June 30th, and what remains uh, either way on the ATM? Chris, uh, that's your bailiwick. I'll let you answer that one. Uh, yeah, we've used it uh, uh, in July. Uh, so a million dollars coming out of the ATM uh, post-renewal. Okay. And uh what and what remains on it? Uh, that would be uh thirty eight billion. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks for taking all the questions.
0: Yes, Robin. Just a reminder to our audience, Star One, if you have a question or comment at this time, that's Star One. We'll move in next to John Newman with Canaccord.
1: Hi guys, thanks for taking the question this afternoon. Uh question is on the bracelet study. I'm just curious if you can talk to us specifically about um, what you're looking for in terms of cell clonality, and just wondering if you could talk about, um, you know, in the past, for example, when the PD-1 inhibitors were first being developed, um, why people weren't able to look at that uh, at the level of detail that they are now. Thanks. Great question. Um, so the T-cell clonality that, that we talk about, really what it is, it's a, it's a snapshot in time of what your T-cells are doing. And T-cells are a great way of uh, demonstrating that you've had the vaccination effects. Um, everyone now is very focused on vaccines and what have you. And um, these things like uh, T-cell clonality can actually guide patients. Like you, you can look for an antibody response or you can look for a T-cell response. But what what essentially what we're looking for is, and it's a three-arm study, so with the Paxlovid. Standard cytotoxins don't increase T cell clonality, so our our expectation is that those patients, you know, will receive the pack We'll look at baseline and three weeks later, and we really don't anticipate there to be much of a change in the composition or constitution of the T cell response. Um, If we see a a successful vaccination effect and we draw the natural killer cells to the tumor and we get lysis, um, what we expect to see is the generation of brand new T cell clones. And if anyone's ever seen our plot, um, what happens is that baseline, you don't have these T-cell clones, and post treatments what we're looking for is the generation 2, 3, unique and novel clones um, that are, are likely to recognize both tumor epitope and viral epitope, and those are, are typically on the vertical axis of our abundancy plots, and really all that's telling us is, yes, this guy who's now had the immune system exposed to viral epitope and tumor epitope, and, you know, they've had this very positive response. Now. Checkpoint inhibitors, other than CTLA4, which we haven't worked with clinically, um, don't generate new T cell clones. They don't prime the immune system. So um, we should be able to tease out what the virus is doing very nicely from what the checkpoint inhibitor is doing. So in the arm where we're giving pacritaxel plus virus, what we're going to be looking for is on that vertical axis the generation of brand new T cell clones. Now this can be further augmented um, by checkpoint blockade. Um, checkline blockade, as I said, doesn't generate new T-cell clones, but it does do a pretty good job of activating those T-cells that exist at baseline, and that's that middle field that we talk about in the abundancy plot, where there's maybe 15, 20 clones that did recognize the tumor, but through the, the disease and through treatment, they just become so exhausted that they just can't target disease anymore. So in the arm where we add the pembrolizumab, what we're hoping to see is a great enhancement of that middle field uh, in combination with uh, the accumulation of new T-cell clones. Now, again, with the WHERE-1, we can measure tumor microenvironment so we can look at uh, activation markers on T-cell clones. We can characterize what immune cells are there. And early results uh, from our animal studies and now what we're starting to see in humans, when we treat with reovirus, we get a big increase in inflammatory cells, um, but we get a, light diminishment of anti-inflammatory cells, cells like Tregs, uh, cells like MDSC. But um, we presented a poster in collaboration with Halozyme. When we added a checkpoint inhibitor to that combination, what we find is within the tumor and microenvironment, the anti-inflammatory cells, these Tregs, these MDSCs, are eliminated from the tumor microenvironment. So where one gives us a very complete picture of which uh, inflammatory cells are there, which cells are not there in the combination, um, what cells are activated, which ones are still basically suppressed from working. So we get a very accurate depiction, and that points us to, very obviously, you want to have an elimination of the anti-inflammatory cells. Early results are suggesting that that's what happens uh, through the activity of the chipboard inhibitor. So we'll have a much more complete picture of that, and that will be presented. Uh, I know they, they, they have submitted to San Antonio um, they are planning on submitting to CISI. Um, And we should have sufficient data. Now that Spain's opened up, they've been able to ship all the samples off. So we're doing uh, imaging mass specs, We're doing T-cell clonality. We're measuring all the cytokine response. We're measuring the gene response. Um, a recent publication we had has demonstrated that rare virus treatment in combination uh, with cytotoxics, we would actually see uh, genetic changes. We'd see overexpression of pro-inflammatory genes. These were expressed as markers as well as cellular changes. And finally, it resulted in clinical changes. So we're hoping to be able to have that sort of full accountability um, from the AWARE-1 study as well as as when we get into the bracelet study. Great. Thank you.
0: Once again, just a reminder to our audience, star one, if you have a question or a comment at this time, that's star one. We'll pause a brief moment. And it appears that's all the time we have for questions at this time, everyone. I'll turn the call back over to our speakers for any final or additional remarks.
1: Thank you, Operator. I appreciate that. And listen, thanks, everyone, for taking the time to listen to these calls. I appreciate it. It is earnings season. It's very busy. Um, other than that, I just wanted to thank everyone for their time. And I wanted to thank all the staff at Oncletics for all the hard work and all the collaboration, and all the industry participation and the patients and their families for participating in the studies. Thanks very much, operator.
0: You're quite welcome. That does conclude our conference call for today, everyone. Thank you all for your participation. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's Investor Relations section on their website. See you next time.